First Peter chapter 3, verse 7 is my text today, just this one verse. I want to remind you that, that this passage stands in a specific context. It's a context that you can see begun, well, really at the beginning of the whole letter, but uh, uh, more immediately the subject of submission is one that begins back in chapter 2, verse 11. There, Peter says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to dot, dot, dot. And then Peter indicates that part of the observable obedience is submission to government, even though that government may be unchristian, to masters, even though they may be harsh, to husbands, even though they may be unbelievers. That was the text that we had last week. Now Peter speaks to the husbands. And though this is just one verse, it's a verse that packs a punch. So listen to 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife, as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, dwell with your wives. You know, you can be present with someone, but not present. When we first moved to Stillwater, my Office as a pastor was in our home. It was just one of a, one of the uh, one of the uh, bedrooms in our house, and and I thought, you know, this is uh, this could be a little troubling uh, being right there in the home. That uh, it's going to be very tempting for for the home to intrude on the office. I mean, what's a guy to do when? Sam and JD, who are just as cute as Suki at that point in their lives, and just as rambunctious as Jack and Emmett, what are you going to do when they come and knock on your door? You've got to open the door. So I was thinking, you know, I've got to be careful about the home intruding in the office. But I found that it went the other way, too, that when I left the office at the end of the day or for meals, that my mind and sometimes my body would wander back into the office. The office was intruding on my family. Now, I was there. I was technically present with my family, but I was not engaged because I was going back into the office in my mind. That's an example from parenting of being technically present but neglectful of other callings in my life. 
And Peter has this in mind when he addresses husbands. It can happen in all relationships of life, but I would suggest that, especially here in marriage, that husbands can fall prey to being present but not being there and thereby neglecting their wives. That's why Peter calls husbands to dwell with their wives with understanding. And we're going to find that that has to do with how you sacrificially give yourself to your wife. You give yourself in a way that is a reflection of what Jesus has done for you. And here's how this passage really fits into that that context that I called your attention to. Your life is a living testimony to the gospel. The way you live under a government, under a master, under an unbelieving husband, with your wife, the way you live with your wife is a testimony of Christ. Because of that, the force of this passage is, as I have printed on the back of your bulletin, husbands, live in such a way that your wives can see the light of Christ in you. Live in such a way that your wives can see the light of Christ in you. Now, that takes a lot of packing. As I said, this is just one verse, but it has a depth of meaning that I want you to come to terms with. So by living Within this ordered society of marriage, the way you love your wife is a living picture of how Christ has loved the church. In fact, this is such a strong connection that elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says it this way, Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for her. So you'll keep that in mind, and and there'll be some references to that, but I'm going to deal especially with Peter's words. We'll begin with this first instruction. Dwell with your wife with understanding. So what does it mean to dwell with your wife? Well, this doesn't mean just to have the same address. It doesn't mean just to even share the same bed. It is something deeper than that. Plenty of men live in the same house with their wives, but still neglect their wives. There are sins that are revealed in this positive statement, sins of neglect, sins of selfishness. Some men become workaholics, They devote all of their time and all of their attention and energy to their careers and neglect the wife that God has given to them. Others immerse themselves in hobbies or projects or hanging out with their friends to the exclusion of their wife and their family. Perhaps you've discovered that you're like me, that you may be technically with your family, but absent in mind because you're running through the affairs of the day. You're not really engaged with your wife. 
Or maybe you've said this. You feel like ships passing in the night. There are times and seasons where we are all busy. If this is characteristic of your marriage, it's time to take stock of your priorities and to see if you are in step with Christ, who gave himself for the bride, who came, who humbled himself, who gave himself that we might live. Now, certainly, we are all complex beings. There are a variety of commitments and a variety of responsibilities. And husbands, you wear many hats. I know that. It includes the hat of vocation. We would even say that God has made you to work. But that work has a specific context, and it's not to the exclusion of everything else. I want you to think back to the Garden of Eden about the way the Lord created mankind and to see the the beauty of how all of these responsibilities work together. Remember the task that God gave to Adam and Eve? He set them in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to care for it. He gave them work to do. This was before the fall, and so work was not a four-letter word at that point. It was something, and still is, something honorable and God-given. It's a calling. It's a vocation. We are to be about the work God has given us to to do, and that's men or women, married or not. That's a whole other subject. But in that context, God also set humankind together as male and female, as husband and wife. And interestingly, it's in the midst of the work Adam was doing in naming the animals that God said that Adam discovered that all of the animals had a a mate, male and female. From the largest animals to the smallest animals, there were daddy horses and mommy horses, and cats and dogs and all of the animals. There was male and female, but for Adam, there was no one found suitable to be beside him. Do you remember what God said? It's not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Before sin had entered the world, and after God had made all of these other things and had declared, and he looked and he saw that it was good. On day one, two, three, four, five, six, and it comes now finally to Adam, who was created first, and it was not good for him to be alone. And so God made Eve and gave her to Adam so that these two would be one. Genesis calls the wife a a helper that was suitable to him, just like Adam found the other animals. Adam now had a human being 
created in God's image, just as much as he was, one to be a companion and a helper suitable to him. It is not good for man to be alone. In doing this, God made the marriage relationship, institution of family, a foundational aspect of our society. It's a relationship that has a very special place broadly in all human beings. And for you who are married, you can see where the good is and you can see where sin affects it. While you wear many hats and you have many responsibilities, you are married and you should not live as if you aren't. You are married, so live like it. So, in this first part, where Peter says, dwell together, remember that you may be technically living with her, but you can be far away from her. Work or other interests interests may become an idol to you, so that your selfish interests push aside all other God-given good responsibilities. Peter further modifies his direction by saying, dwell with your wife with understanding. Dwell, to dwell together with understanding has in mind uh, developing a a, a lasting, intimate relationship. And when I use the word intimate, uh, you've probably heard this from me before. If not, I'm going to, or if you have, I'm going to repeat myself. If not, then I want you to know that when I say intimate, that our minds often very naturally turn towards the sexual intimacy that God has given to husbands and wives. And there is, there is that. But I want you to see that intimate gift that God has given as a subset to something larger. So I've referred it to sexual intimacy as intimacy with a little I and being a subset of your entire relationship as being intimate with a, with a capital I. It has in mind this deep knowing of another person, and being known by them. It's the kind of intimacy that has an aim of of producing connectedness, a connectedness that enjoys being together, whatever you do. It doesn't have to be exactly the same thing, a husband and wife that are enjoying Intimacy with a capital I can be in the same room doing different things, but still being connected. But it implies enjoying sharing a meal, working on chores together, traveling, having family worship. It takes time, it takes attention, it takes effort to develop this type of intimacy. And I want you to see how this also flows from the way that God made us. He has designed human beings in this way, but 
has also baked it into marriage. See, when God made mankind, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, who was God talking to at this point? We believe that there is only one true God, right? But this one true God has existed eternally in three persons. You remember what they are? Maybe the children know what this, who these are. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three persons are mysteriously one God, same in substance, equal in power and glory. So there is just one God, but existing eternally in three persons means that God has existed eternally in relationship between these three persons. God understands what it means to be in relationship, and he made us to reflect that. He made us to be in relationship as well, a relationship with him to begin with. And it's a relationship that is is expressed in the Garden of Eden in an intimate way. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the Garden of Eden. Now, Dave and I were talking about this after the Sunday school class this morning. He began a really good study on, on meditation, on on. And one of those was about Isaac walking out in the fields. What was Isaac doing? Was he just out there for a stroll, thinking about nothing? No, he was meditating, was communing with God. And that's what's happening here with Adam and Eve. They are spending time with God as creator. This is not an HGTV walk through the garden demonstrating these vast varieties of plants and vegetation and animals. No, this was God stooping down to know and be known by his creatures. Think about that. The God who made the entire universe by the word of his power has thought so highly of you that he would stoop down to reveal himself to us, to walk and to talk with us, to invite us, to draw us, to bind us in a relationship with him. That's what God envisioned for all of mankind with him, which is broken by sin and renewed by Christ. And that is what God envisions interpersonally, and we long for that interpersonally, and especially between husbands and wives in their marriage. To know and be known. 
to walk together and to know each other face to face. That is a basic human need. It is a longing that is expressed so many ways in the world around us. We live in a culture that is so segmented and cut off and lonely because of this desire to know and be known just on a human level. And it expresses that spiritual longing that God has placed eternity in our hearts. God has placed us to long to to know God. And when we don't, we are lost and it affects us so deeply. So when Peter says, for you as husbands to live with your wives with understanding, he has in mind this type of intimacy this knowing and being known by your wife. Now, unfortunately, I've already called attention to this. Sin has corrupted everything, and it has corrupted this relationship supremely. We men tend to be selfish. We tend to be narrow-minded, focusing only on ourselves and our own interests, leading to the sin of neglect of our wives, leading to the sin of taking them for granted and not coming to really understand who they are and understanding their gifts. We tend to treat them in a utilitarian type of way, as if my wife is useful to me, merely useful to me. To make sure that I have a lunch when I go to work today. She takes care of the home. She cares for the children. She serves me meals and makes my bed. She helps me keep my calendar Guys, even sexual intimacy can take on this self-centered view. She is there to satisfy my needs merely. See, the call to live with your wife with understanding holds up a mirror to you, a mirror that reveals, as I look in that mirror of God's word, reveals how selfish I am. I can think of my marriage as what's in it for me. Instead, God has designed marriage for the mutual benefit of husband and wife. The two become one. So Paul, in his letters, elaborates on this. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And he goes on, he says, love your wife as you love your own body. And Peter says, dwell with your wife with understanding. He calls you to put to death sinful desires, to put to death selfishness, and to know your wife there's blessing in this. 
It really is. You think you can get it by, uh, by your own conniving, but there's blessing in God's ways. It's not good for you to be alone. So don't live that way. Don't live with your life revolving around you and your own selfish interests, thinking that you can manage all of these things to serve you. Rather, if you embrace what God has given, there is rich blessing. So it is. A man would leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. It is good to give yourself to your wife, to be united with her, to live with her with understanding. Second half of the verse says to honor your wife as an heir. And this takes unpacking as well. Give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Something of a parallel here in the words that Peter gave to the wife. Uh, I like the way one of the commentators puts it. He says, as wives are to be respectfully submissive to their husbands, regardless of how deserving their husbands may be, so husbands are to grant honor to their wives, not because of their deserving achievements, but because it is their due in Christ. Give honor to your wife as an heir. Give honor because your wife is also a joint heir of Jesus Christ. You are to honor her because just like you, you are made in the image of God. Genesis 1, God made them male and female after his image. And he has redeemed you in Christ and your wife. There is not one way for men to become Christians and another way for women to become Christians. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. And you are both heirs of Christ, joint heirs with him. Such that Paul will also say in Ephesians that In Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. It speaks to the fact that in justification there is an essential equality. Men, this deserves deep thinking to see if you have come to think of women in general as second class or your wives specifically as second class, as they're just to serve you. You need to recognize who they are in Jesus Christ. And there is honor deserving to them because they are an heir of Jesus Christ. Well, 
This instruction rules out any form of abusiveness. I made this point last week in the context of words to wives, because I wanted to be sure you understood that the the concept of submission is is not what it is often thought of in the world today as being subservient to uh, someone who is of greater value. Rather, it has the idea of a willing arranging yourself underneath someone's leadership was the definition that we used. I made the point right at the end that a woman's submission does, does not give any room for abuse. The Bible condemns abuse as sin in all of its forms, whether it be physical or emotional or spiritual. The Bible condemns it. It rules out seeking to control them just because you are the head of the household. It rules out punishing her just because you didn't get your way. Loving leadership is serving leadership, not domineering. A loving leader honors those who are following after him. A loving leader understands the gifts that are assembled around him and seeks to improve them, seeks to to help them express their gifts and use them to the glory of God. Even in the secular world, they they understand this or, or should understand this. That a job leader is, is going to do the job best who finds those that are good at what they're doing and enables them to do it. Loving leadership is servant leadership. It follows the example of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Jesus Christ has been made head over all things for the church. But is his leadership domineering? Is his leadership harsh or abusive or selfish? God forbid. And as Christ has loved and honored and saved you, that same Attitude should flavor the honor that you give your wife. This helps you to understand Peter's words about giving honor to wives as the weaker vessel. There are differences between men and women. Maybe put in jail for that statement someday, but uh, there are differences between men and women. The obvious one is physical, right? Men are typically bigger and stronger. And women are typically have smaller frames and are weaker physically. And uh, there's been lots of ideas is what this may refer to. Uh, Stick with the simple understanding here. It's this difference between someone who is physically stronger than another and how the idea of being joint heirs rules out abusing your advantages. 
the advantage of being stronger. Because of that, there are some men who uh, use the advantage of their position or their strength to twist their wife's arm, so to speak. Or, actually, I take that back. Some men literally twist their wives' arms. Slap them. Or hit them. Beat them. They bully their wives to do what they want. The Bible condemns this as sin. Violence, in and of itself, ought to be understood as sinful abuse of power and position. But within marriage, it is, uh, there is a vulnerability because of the physical difference. Peter may have also seen in a pagan culture a, another type of vulnerability where there was an inequity in social standing. I've tried to, br- not brush that away, I've tried to, uh, to, to strongly say that the Bible has no place for that either. Christianity elevates the life of a woman in, in all of the world and in marriage. There is that essential uh, equality in salvation But in this case, as weaker vessels, Paul forbids the negative of taking advantage of one who is weaker. This also helps Peter's final words on this matter. Honor your wives that your prayers may not be hindered. What does this have to do with with a relationship? Well, I want you to remember how Jesus taught in, his, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount as he taught on prayer. I want you to hear what he said. One of the petitions is he taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And in explaining this petition, Jesus says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. In other words, it's ludicrous to ask God to forgive you when you refuse to forgive your brother or sister in Christ. It's ludicrous. And in much the same way, there is a... A similar analogy that is happening here. The correlation is this. If you think God will hear your prayers, when you refuse to listen to your wife, you need to think again. It's ludicrous. We sang this in Psalm 66, didn't we? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayers. 
applied very directly here by Peter to the relationship of husbands and wives. But, says Psalm 66, certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. But God is gracious for which one of us, male or female, can, can perfectly relate to others. Which one of us is Husbands can carry this out without failure. None of us can. But God has been merciful. And it's right for us to say first to the Lord, God, forgive me. For my sins against you and my, for the sins against my wife. And here is where Peter is making this special point. This is the gospel in action. In fact, it's... A, the rubber meets the road in the midst of your marriage. It's, the gospel is on display in the way you treat your wife, in forgiving and seeking forgiveness one to another, in knowing and being known towards each other, just as God has known you, just as God has forgiven you in Christ. You are a living example of the grace of Jesus Christ. What a joy it is to know that he is at work in us. For it is his purpose that we would live out that grace. That we would be transformed day by day, following that upward call of Christ, recognizing the sin that so easily entangles us, And making war against it, putting to death that old selfish man day by day by day, and then giving yourself, just as Christ has given himself, giving yourself to know, to love, to live with, to nurture your wife. May that be so each of our marriages, may it be so in me. Let's pray. God, we confess our sins to you. We do not hide them. Instead, we ask, O God, that you would forgive us as we repent and enable us to put to death that old man. This is hard to do. The hard thing isn't the wife that we're living with, it's the old man inside me. That's where the trouble lies. So God, I pray that you would enable us day by day to set our minds on Christ, to follow that upward call. God, we pray that it would be demonstrated that we are new creations in Christ, They are not slaves to the world or following those paths any longer. But instead, you have set us free to follow Jesus, our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Answer when I call, O God who justifies You've looked in the mirror today and seen 
sins of selfishness, let's confess them before the Lord. Answer, O God, who justifies. Know me, as stanza two says. And may we know him, know the Lord, his saints. His saints has set apart in grace. Know him and follow him. Let's stand and sing Psalm 4b.